We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Oh man, it's so good to be in church, isn't it? I'll tell you what, in the world we're living in right now, to me, this is the best place to be. Amen. And I am so excited. Um, I don't know. I know that this has been a very trying week for a lot of people. There's been a lot of uh, confusion, a lot of chaos over the election, and a lot of God's people, whether you uh, voted one way or the other, are wondering what is happening in our nation. And God, what are you doing right now in our nation and in the world? And um, can I just tell you that um, I love how God works, and God put something in my heart to share with you on the Sunday after Vision Sunday months ago, and now I could see his fingerprints all over it. Um, but I, there's a stirring inside of me, there's an excitement inside of me in the middle of all this that I, I don't even know if I can um, explain naturally, but there is something that I believe stirring, spiritually speaking, that God is doing in his church in, um, in the world right now that if we don't really tune out the distractions and turn off the news and tune into the, the Bible and what the Bible says about the end, can I remind us as the church this morning that we win in the end, <laughs> that God reigns in the end, and that <laughs> we're not of just this earth, we're not of this world. We have so much of a higher inheritance for eternity. And so um, I have so much to share. I feel so full uh, and rich in God's word and what he's been showing me, what he's been speaking to me, uh, that I wanna communicate it effectively to you in the little time that we have. Um, but before I get into the message this morning, I do wanna uh, make sure that we recognize and welcome our family in Eureka. We love you guys. We wanna welcome Hope Church Eureka. We're so glad that you're joining us this morning, and I was just honored to be with you last week and share with you a vision message specifically for Eureka. And I just want to tell you, even my heart is stirred this morning for our church in Eureka and what God wants to do, his plan and his purpose for the church there in Eureka. So we're praying for you guys, believing you, believe that God has something in this message for you. I also want to welcome those who are joining us from Hope City downtown. We love you guys, Debbie and Dennis and the whole crew down there. Um, the Gesslers, we love you guys, so grateful for you, as well as all, all of you who are joining us online. And it is amazing to me during the season, and even as we have some crummy weather out there today, there's always possibility with that technology affords to be able to join us uh, online if you can't make it here in person. And so we're so grateful that you're joining us. I believe that God has something specific for you. You don't have to be in this room to get the heart of God. It can translate to you. Even God's presence can translate to you. So we're just so grateful for you. All right. We are jumping back after an amazing, amazing Vision Sunday last week that we had together in the message series called Functional Faith. Functional Faith, a faith that works in everyday life. Isn't that really what we all want? Um, but oftentimes... Um, I've experienced this, and I'm sure you have too, that there can be these gaps um, between what we know, the Bible tells us, what we hear from a message even like this that a preacher can preach, and how we see it um, functioning or working out in our everyday life. In other words, when we go to work, how it works, how our faith works in our marriage, how our faith works in our family, 
how our faith works on Facebook, how our faith wor works when there's a presidential election and nobody knows who's president for four days. Um, and then you may not be happy or you may be happy with the outcome. How our faith works in every part of our lives and relationships in all of it, in the church, I think is absolutely critical to our success in stepping into the fullness of everything that Jesus paid the price for on the cross for you and for me. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of an all in or all out kind of person. So when I said yes to Jesus and I went all in with him, ever since then, I've been in this pursuit to receive the fullness of everything that God has for me. And so I want that not just for me and for my wife and for my kids and my family, but I want it for you as your pastor. I want to see you be able to step into all the fullness that God has for you. And then collectively, as a community of believers that have decided to come together and do this thing called Hope Church, I want to see the fullness of everything that God has for Hope Church. And so I was just so encouraged on Vision Sunday, um, but even more so, uh, something this morning is stirring in my heart so much that I think one of the missing keys, if you will, to our faith functioning is this thing called church. Too many believers in Christ don't understand what the church really is, who it's meant for, and how do you fully engage in it. And so today I want to bring you a message called what it means to be part of the church. What it means to be part of the church. And so we're going to look at a passage of scripture together. Um, if you guys can put that up on the screen from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And this is going to be my main passage of scripture this morning that I want to share with you. But before I do that, um, can I just take a moment to pray? Uh, I believe that God is doing more than we can see right now. In fact, I love the scripture that says he, he's doing more than what we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And so with our natural eyes, oftentimes we don't see what God is doing, and especially if we're focusing on CNN and the news and the media outlets for our vision into what's happening in our world. And I would just encourage you, like I have through this whole season, from the moment that we began um, shut down because of the coronavirus, I felt in my spirit to lead you in this season to make sure that you're tuning out of distractions and really tuning into the still small voice of the Lord. And uh, because that, that's something that isn't gonna happen automatically. It's something that you have to be intentional about, something that you have to work at, something that you have to every day choose to tune out the distractions and tune in to the voice of God. And I believe that if we'll do that, we'll really hear from God and be led by his spirit during this season. It's one of the reasons I believe our church has thrived during the season, and I believe it will continue to do so, is because I am dead set that that is how this church is gonna operate. It's how I'm gonna lead you. It's how I'm gonna encourage you. It's how I'm gonna equip you. And I believe that if we'll um, follow the spirit's leading and listen to his voice, that there's some really good things in store for us. So I wanna encourage you this morning. I, I hope that you walk out of these doors more hopeful than when you came in, full of the life of God, full of the presence of Jesus, anchored in hope, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, primed in peace, and rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. 
So let's read this passage of scripture at Ephesians chapter two, verse nine. It says this, so now, now, you Gentiles, now let me explain this to you, what Paul means by Gentiles. Up until this point, uh, the Jewish culture, the Jewish tradition, the religious system believed that um, they were God's chosen people, and rightly so, they were. However, they also believed that anybody else that was not Jewish wasn't a part of God's plan and couldn't receive salvation. In other words, they couldn't receive the kingdom of God and all the plans that God had for them. And so Paul is speaking directly in this. In fact, a little bit earlier in this chapter, he talks about how Jesus brought down the wall of separation. There used to be in the temple of God, which would be the modern day church, walls that actually separated Gentiles and women. Gentiles and women, people that were not like them. And there was walls that actually segregated them and separated them from worshiping in the inner court, in where the very presence of God was in the temple. And so now Paul is speaking directly into this people. Can I tell you something? As it pertains to the church, you belong here. This is what Paul's saying. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers, foreigners. He's saying you have a place alongside with the Jewish people, God's chosen people. God removed the wall of separation, and now there is no more separation from Jews, Greeks. Uh, he didn't care who you are. Just like in modern day, this church is a church where everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's celebrated. I don't care if you were at the bar last night and you had the worst day of your life and you sin the worst that you think you can. The church is a place where everybody is welcome into the presence of God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That doesn't mean God wants you to stay the way you are. The plan is that as you come into his presence and you hear the truth of his gospel, that the truth will set you free. And we'll be getting a life of repentance and following Jesus and following his word. But Paul says you're no longer strangers, you're no longer foreigners. Some of you, even, I, I just feel in my spirit right now to tell you, there's some watching online that you haven't actually stepped into this church because you're afraid people are gonna judge you. People are gonna look at you funny. You feel like you don't belong. Can I tell you something? You belong in the house of God. You belong. You're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of, this is key, God's family. We see Paul is setting up what the church is all about. The church, and this is a core value of Hope Church, the, the church is God's family. It's a family. If you look at, from the very beginning, even the Godhead, three in one, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's a family with mutual love and mutual respect. It's the family of God. The church is the family of God. And he goes on to say in verse 20, together, you're going to notice in Scripture here how many times the word together, we, us, apart. This is a beautiful picture of the church. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, speaking of uh, uh, the, the apostles and the uh, prophets uh, that started the church, that were with Jesus, that launched and birthed the church, partnered with him to do so. And the cornerstone, listen to this, this is key for the church, the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. The cornerstone, now back in those days, they didn't have cement. So what they would do is they would take, um, they would take all different kinds of stone and they would chisel it and they would find the, a stone. And what began the building process to set the foundation is the very first stone that they would put in place was the cornerstone. 
And oftentimes they would inscribe the king on that the king's name on that cornerstone and the date that it was established so that if ever the house got uh, torn down, that they would be able to find the cornerstone again and be able to rebuild on the foundation. I think this is absolutely key because I believe that God is wanting to rebuild the church back on the foundation of what he intended the church to be, with the cornerstone being Jesus Christ, him alone, him alone. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Everything else, going into verse 21, we are carefully, look at the language here, Carefully, this is a careful process, you coming in and becoming part of the church. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple of the Lord. Now, when, when Solomon was rebuilding, the, or building, sorry, the temple of God in Jerusalem, he spared no expense. He had craftsmen uh, strategically craft stones that were fitted into the temple of God. It's a beautiful picture of you and me in the modern day church. But what's interesting as I studied this is that they would, outside of Jerusalem is where they would chisel, they would knock off the stone, they were, they were um, chiseling off pieces to form the stone so that each piece would perfectly fit together so that when they brought it to the church, it fit just where it was supposed to be. I love this picture because you need to understand that God all your life has been shaping you, forming you for a family. You've been formed for a family, shaped for a purpose. You have a destiny in Christ that can be found within the context of what he's building in his church. You are part of it. You belong to it. You have been shaped perfectly. I love the scripture. In fact, we're going to have baby dedications in second service. And as I was writing inside the Bibles, we give little uh, first Bibles to babies that are, that are dedicated. And um, I was writing in the Bibles and I was reminded of Ephesians 2.10, that you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he planned for you long ago. You have to understand that even while you were out in the world, that God, I tell my kids this, I tell my leaders this, that God uses everything and he wastes nothing. That every experience that you've experienced in life, all the pain, the good, the bad, the ugly, God has used it to shape you and form you so that when you come into the church, you fit perfectly. There's a perfect place for you here. And he goes on in verse uh, 22. Through him, meaning Jesus, you Gentiles, the cornerstone, are also being made a part, underline made part, this is a key, made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Jesus, help us. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray that you would use your word to stir us, to challenge us, to convict us, to shape us. God, I pray for every person listening right now. Um, Holy Spirit, we give you this time that we have. I give you this microphone. I give you my mouth. God, Use me as a vessel to speak to your people, to encourage them, to equip them, to change them. Uh, God, I pray that you would open up every heart listening, that they would receive exactly what you have for them today, that we would not leave this place the same as we came in. And God, right now, I also want to lift up our great nation, the United States of America. Key word, united. God, I pray once again that you would bring unity back to this nation, no matter the outcome of this, this election which has gotten ugly, and, and there may be darkness that needs to be exposed in this country through it. 
God, I pray that through it all, we just declare that you reign. You are God over this nation, and we put our hope and trust in you and you alone. And God, either way, we choose to love our neighbor as ourselves and to live out the gospel no matter the outcome. We trust you. But we do pray, Father God, as you are sovereign over this nation and over the world, that your hand would be upon this process, that your hand would be upon uh, Vice, Vice President-elect, President, I'm sorry, President-elect Joe Biden, that your hand would be upon President Donald Trump. And God, that you, you would be over this nation. We know that you have a plan and a purpose in all of it. And we say yes and amen to it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. You were meant to be part of the church. I've got three things for you this morning. Um, I'm gonna have to go through them really quickly. I don't even know if I'm gonna make it through all three, to be honest with you. Um, I've got so much in my heart to share and so many things that I think are really critical for you and me to really understand what God had intended for this thing that we call church. So the first thing that I want, uh, my first point is this. You were meant to be part of the church. You were meant to. Now, I use that word meant and mean because it signifies that God had a purpose in it, that there was something that God purposed in you and me being a part of this thing called church. Now, obviously, I'm a pastor. Um, this, this is my life. It's not just my vocation. It's not just where I get a paycheck. Actually, this was my life long before I was officially set in to be the lead pastor of this church. My wife and I, since I was born again, I was born again in a church. I was birthed in a church. I was birthed into a family. I had a, I had a challenging family life growing up, like many of you. Uh, I was a child of divorce. I had a lot of pain, a lot of insecurity, a lot of rejection. I got, I got saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and immediately found a home in the church, in a local church. Ironically enough, that church was called New Covenant Church in Hopewell Junction, New York. Um, this church um, used to be called and was founded on the name New Covenant. So um, I think that's pretty cool how sometimes God does that. But as I came into the church, people started surrounding the people of God. I was, I was, I was a 19-year-old young man who just got saved uh, was completely lost, pulled out of a life of sin, confusion about my future, and people started surrounding me, encouraging me in the church, speaking life into me in church. I started serving in the church, in youth ministry. The, uh, the worship director, who was the pastor's son, um, God highlighted me to him, and he came alongside me and began to disciple me, befriended me, and, and I grew in leaps and bounds in the context of the church. Every time the doors were open, I was in the church. Why? Because I didn't want to miss what God was doing. I had a belief and conviction that because God touched me there, that God would meet me there every single week. And call, call it naive, call it being young in the faith. I didn't know any better. I would position myself in God's house. God could do some amazing things in my life. And I began to grow in Christ and thrive in Christ as people of the church surrounded me, encouraged me, equipped me. Every week I hung on every word that the pastor preached. I left encouraged and just with something new that God spoke to me. And I was growing in leaps and bounds. And as I grew in my faith and followed God the rest of my life, 
as I served in the church and as I matured in Christ, then I started serving in higher levels of leadership as God opened those doors. And as we moved to Montana following God and we came to this church and we began to serve in the kids' ministry, and, God, and then we started a connect group. We began to serve in the church. Um, over the years, I've seen God do some amazing things in the context of the family of God. I personally believe it's a privilege, it's an honor to be a part of the family of God. I've got to cry, but one of the very first things within the month of becoming the pastor of this church, but even before that, when we, my wife and I led, led connect groups, there were times that we would sit and cry and weep with people as they were broken over the loss of, of a child. And we would cry with people when they lost businesses and financially they were distraught and didn't know what their future held. We would sit as, as people um, shared their struggles in marriages and felt hopeless and helpless and didn't know what to do and we got the privilege to sit by them and pray with them and watch God move in, and do miracles in their marriage. I've had the privilege and honor to sit with people as they weeped over uh, their, their twins being stillborn in the, in, in the womb and losing babies. I got to, got to weep with them and mourn with them. And I've also gotten the privilege and the honor to be there when new life is born and the family is surrounded and celebrating and praising God and celebrating with them. I've when two people commit their lives and marriage to one another and got to celebrate that beautiful day. And I've also got to be there sitting in my office as they've, they've, they've wept and agonized over the challenges that marriage and life pose and real struggles. I've gotten to be there when people have struggled with things, addictions and porn and, and sin and they've wrestled with these things and, and are in tears because they don't know what to do and they don't know where to turn and they want to love God with everything in them, but, the, but this thing has a grip on their life. And I've gotten to see people get some amazing breakthrough and freedom and begin to come into the fullness of who they are in Christ. I've gotten to be with families as they've been reunited and reconnected, where sons have been reconnected to fathers and daughters to their mothers all in the context of this beautiful thing called the church. And my wife and I, we just, we just committed that we're going to give our life to this thing. Why? Because it's worth it. It's worth it. And so even before I was a pastor and this became my vocation, I've had this conviction, the church saved my life. It literally saved my life. It's the thing I would not be here today if it wasn't for this thing called the church. That we were called, you were called, I was called to be a part of it. See, Paul gives this beautiful picture of, of the body and how that every one of us are a part of that body and how, how can the body function properly if one part is disconnected from the body. Now let me tell you, I'm gonna kind of weave in some things that I see happening in our culture and in our 21st century in 2020, this past year, and some trends that I'm seeing that when I look at, take a step back and see the big picture, when you look at technology and you look at social media and you look at entertainment and you look at our world today, everything is trying to disconnect you from being a part of the church. Everything. Why? Because the enemy knows that if he can disconnect you from the body, that he can take you out. I've seen people that have chosen to give up on the church. 
Why? Because you know what? The church is messy. It's not perfect. We are flawed human beings trying to follow a perfect God. And I'll just say that I love this church. I believe we're a healthy church, but it is not a perfect church. I have not always led you perfectly. We have not always made perfect decisions. But in the context of all of it, you have to know and trust that our heart is to fully follow God with everything that is in us and to lead you into all the fullness that God not only has for you personally, but what he has for us as a community, as a church. And so some people say, I've heard this analogy, yeah, I don't go to church, there's a bunch of hypocrites there. That's like saying I don't go to the gym because there's fat people there. It's like, <laughs> saying, right? I mean, yes, this is a place where people struggle, people are fighting for their faith. They're trying to find and, and see their faith function. And people, you know, they, they put the early church on a pedestal. Uh, let me tell you, I believe that the early church is a glorious mess. It was a glorious movement that was a mess. You look at the epistles Paul was writing, they're all letters of correction. And if you read some of it, if you actually read your Bible, the account of the church, there's this beautiful move of God where God is doing miracles, people are coming to faith, and yet at the same time, there's, there's sin that is trying to be worked out of the church and worked out of people, and, and, and Jesus is trying to bring some truth and correction. Our, our modern-day church is no different, but yet some of us have chosen to be overly critical of the church. And I believe that critical spirit wants to enter in the church because when you, cr criticalness and offense go hand in hand. They're a similar spirit. And just like when Jesus went to Nazareth, when they could not receive what he had because they were offended by him, I believe that when we become critical in our heart, you can't receive all that God has for you within the church because that criticalness is, is skewing your perspective. It's blocking the flow of God. Jesus himself said, I couldn't do many miracles there. Why? Because they were offended. I believe that maybe sometimes God isn't moving in your life because there's been an offense from the church or there's a criticalness, that a posture that we've taken towards the church and because of it we can't receive. But you have to understand, you're supposed to be part of the solution. Maybe God shows you things in the church, not so that you can take a step back from the church and disconnect from the church, but maybe you're supposed to be a part of it, the solution in the church, and that's why God is showing you it. I'll never forget, true story, I was sitting right there, me and my family, we used to sit right in that front row there. I like to be in the front row because I want to be close to the action. I've always been like that. And so we were sitting in that front row. We've gone through some things as a church. You go through seasons in church. There's ups and downs, there's tough seasons, there's good seasons, and through it all, even as I look out in this room, there's some of you that stuck, stuck through all those seasons. Now, many people haven't. And I'll remember, there's been three, there was three times that I almost left this church. I'm being really real with you this morning because I believe I need to be. You need to hear this. Because I know that many of you maybe have been there at one time or another yourselves. Some of you have been there and you've chosen to disconnect yourself from being a part of the church. And I'll never forget, I was sitting right there one Sunday morning. It was one of those mornings where I just had a bad attitude. I came to church and I you know, just went, on there. Everything was wrong. Music was wrong, didn't like it, didn't like where, you know, where people were saying, I don't know, didn't like what the pastor was saying, saw all these things were wrong and it was starting to eat me up inside. I was becoming critical and I remember being in worship and I, I was doing one of those, you know, and I don't do that. 
You're why I worship God. When I come to church, I come to worship. I'm getting my worship on. That means singing, clapping, yelling, just praising God. I'm gonna do dancing. I'm gonna do what I gotta do. And I was there and I just postured myself in one of these, hands in the pocket. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment and said, Lance, what are you doing here? I said, I'm a church. What do you mean? What am I doing here? And I, this is how God speaks to me. And it wasn't an audible voice, but I heard it in my spirit. I heard it in, in my mind, in my soul. And he said, Lance, why did I call you here? Because I believe that when you are part of a church, you're called to a church. In our modern consumer day uh, world that we live in, too many people pick churches based on, well, I like the music here. It becomes like this T-chart. Well, this one's closer to home, and I like the music better here. I don't like the preacher here. This one goes too long. This one goes too short. Um, all, I, don't, I don't like uh, you know, the name, whatever. Based on personal preference rather than I have a conviction, God calls you to be a part of a church. And so you may not, it may not even be your pick. It may not be, not be one, number one on the list, but if you trust God, you believe that God has a plan and purpose for you being a part of the church that he's called you to be a part of. And so God, he asked me, he said, um, did I call you here? Uh, yes, sir, you did. Why do you think I called you here? Good question. I'm kind of wondering that myself right now. He said, maybe have you considered that I called you here to be a part of the change that you want to see? <laughs> I felt he took me out to the woodshed, and in that moment, my attitude shifted and changed. And I said, God, forgive me. Forgive me for being critical of this thing that you've called me to and that you've called me to be a part of. I surrender my thoughts, I surrender all my opinions to you right now, and I choose to worship you. And from that moment on, God started doing something in my life. I started seeing my part in the church differently. I didn't see it as coming to get my fill in worship. I didn't see it as coming to make sure that the pastor gave me a good word so that I could leave you know, encouraged and equipped. I started to realize that that was my responsibility. It wasn't his responsibility. I, I'm, I can feed myself. I'm a grown man. <laughs> grown men know how to make their own sandwiches, right? Thank you, Pastor Josh. I can feed myself. I don't need my wife to feed me. I can make my own food. I can cook it. I can feed myself. And I like to cook steak, by the way. So I like to get into the meat of the word and get everything out of it that I can. And, um, and so what happened is I started coming to church already filled up. And believing and trusting that God was going to show me people he wanted me to encourage. And that I was to be part of the change that I wanted to see. So I went to pastor and I said, pastor, what can I do to help you? And he told me some things and I jumped in and I started helping. And I got involved even more. And, and I believe it was because of that shift that I am here speaking to you today. And I can encourage you because I wasn't somebody who went to seminary who was planning to be a pastor, I was somebody just like you, that God had a call in my life to become a part of the church. But listen, you have to be committed to it. There's no I in church. 
and we are living in an information age, I, and with iPhones and iPads and all of it. Look at it. Look at everything that is happening in our world right now. It wants to suck you in to an I culture of being independent. I don't need anybody else. In fact, I got Siri, I got Google, I got friends. I, and look at we sit around. Um, I, it's scary to me to see, go to a restaurant with a husband and wife or family and everybody's sitting there on their phones. They're not even fellowshipping. We're losing what it means to be in true fellowship and true relationship with people. And yet Jesus ordained the most beautiful thing on the planet called the church that you and I get to be a part of. Listen, Acts 2.42. They, keyword, devoted themselves. Now the, the Greek word, because that's the original language that this was written in, um, it was, it, it actually says, they continually devoted themselves. This is something that you and I have to continually choose to do. You have to continually devote yourself and look at statistics through this whole season where we got shut in in coronavirus. More and more Christians, in fact, about a third, since being shut in, have not come back to the church. And I'm not even talking watching online. I'm talking just flat out just have disconnected from the body and are not a part of it anymore. Why? I believe it's because they didn't understand what it means to be part of the church. You have to, through thick, thin, good times, when you feel like it and when you don't. You have to be continually devoted, committed to it. I was listening to, um, I don't know how many of you know Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry uh, is a great man, he's a Christian man, he's a media mogul, has a lot of influence, and he wrote a book, and I saw an interview with him uh, on a Christian uh, channel, and um, he was sharing this story that I thought was really profound. He was sharing about when he built his house, paying all the water bills, and so, um, he had somebody that was gonna drill a well at his pr property, he was on city water, and he said, I wanna drill a well on my property. And so he hired this company, they went down like 200 feet, no water. They went, they left, they said, sorry, we, we drilled down, you know, 200 feet, couldn't find any water. So he's like, okay, I guess that's not gonna work. A couple of months later, he got frustrated, gets his water bill, he's frustrated again. He calls back the people, he's like, can we try that again? Like, maybe you, you need to go to a different spot, whatever. So they come back, they pick a different spot, they drill down, this time they drill down like 350 feet in that spot, no water. He's like, this is, this is discouraging. So they, they leave, um, a couple of months later, same thing happens. He calls them back up, he's like, listen, I've got to have a well here. You've got to find water. And so they said, okay, Mr. Perry, we'll, we'll come out, we'll try it again. So this time they come out, they, they pick a different spot, they drill down 500 feet. And actually, as they're drilling down, uh, I don't know where they are because I know in different places, you know, the water tables or so, and you can drill deeper in some places, so I'm not sure exactly where his house was. But as they were drilling down, they hit rock and their drill broke. They actually had to get another drill bit um, to drill down in. And they, they stopped several times and said, Mr. Perry, like, this, I don't know if this is going to work. We're, we're breaking drill bits. We're hitting rock. Um, we, and, and, and he says, listen, I want you to keep drilling, and I want you to go to as deep as you can. And he looked at him, and he said, Mr. Perry, we've never drilled down this far before. And he looked at him, and he says, I don't care whatever it takes. I want you to drill until you hit water. And what I realized about that story is this is the problem with some of us in church. Church was never meant to be a place where you dip your toe in the water. The church was never meant to be a place where you drill down a couple of hundred feet. 
The church was a, a place where, unlike, you know, when you were a kid, um, you know, we liked that, that song, um, you put your right foot in, you put your right foot out, you put your left foot in, and you turn it all about. You do the hokey pokey, and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. Boots. It's a cute nursery rhyme or kid's song, but I don't think Jesus likes it when his people play hokey pokey in the church. And too many of us, we do exactly that. We take a step in, we take a step out. We take a step in, in another season, we take a step out. We, we, we dance around with the idea of being a part of the church, but the church wasn't meant to be a place where you dabble in. It was always meant to be a place that you go all in. And I believe some of you, the reason why church hasn't worked for you, hear my heart, is because you've never made a decision to go all in. You've never just said, I am going all in, and I'm going all in. And listen, it will cost you something. When, when he drilled down and he said, we never drilled down this far, it's going to get really expensive. He said, I don't care what it costs, you keep drilling. You got to get to a place where you realize that, yeah, it's going to cost you to get up early and come to a 9 a.m. service. It's going to cost you something to get here earlier for the people that are up in the loft and the people that are here serving today. But let me tell you, the reward, once you hit water, the blessing of the fountain of the living uh, water that comes out of the church that flows to you and flows out of this place, once you taste of it, man, you will never, ever step back out of the church. I tasted it a long time ago. And I was like, this is what I want to give my life to. And I'm telling you that if you'll just go all in in the church to be a part of it, God will do something amazing in your life. So why is it that we don't? Why is it that we, there's many reasons, and I understand that there's all kinds of circumstances. So there's no condemnation here. Hear me this morning. I just want to encourage you. But I think one of the big reasons why we don't understand the significance and the value of church is because we don't understand the history of it. We don't understand how it was made up. So here's my second point. You need to understand that you were meant to be part, to participate actually, in the plan and purpose of God. You were meant to participate in the plan and purpose of God. I chose that word participate carefully because part of it is you, you are, we've already established that you are meant to be part of the church. But you're not just meant to be a spectator. You're not just meant to be somebody who comes in and sits and consumes the, the message, the worship. We live in such a consumer-oriented uh, culture that we, I think the church has been in danger of slipping into a consumer mindset. In fact, some churches uh, have trended towards all kinds of things to bend towards culture instead of affecting culture, bending the culture towards Christ and the church. And I think that can be dangerous. And I think there's a balance between, um, you know, being seeker-friendly, so to speak. Now, I believe every church should be seeker-friendly. If there are people that are seeking Christ, don't we want to be friendly to them? Yeah. Paul said, become all things to all people so that you might win some. So, I, I mean, I hope our church is seeker-friendly. Like, if there are people that are genuinely seeking Christ, that we're friendly to them, that this is an atmosphere and a place where they feel welcome and invited. Um, but at the same time, I don't think we need to play secular music before in the lobby so that people feel at home. And this is how God's house. And, and it reminds me of when Jesus went up to the, to the temple to pray, 
and he got mad with a righteous anger and indignant and he turned tables over and he, and he, and he took and he made a whip and he whipped, he chased out the people who were selling sacrifices. Why? They were trying to make it easy and convenient for people to worship God and they didn't have, it didn't cost them much to enter into the house of God. And Jesus drove out that consumerism. And I believe that he's still flipping tables over today. That he wants to drive out consumerism in the church and he wants to drive out this notion that being a part of the church needs to be comfortable for you, convenient for you, and meet every need for you. We just want to make sure we don't offend you and do anything. What about offending God? What about offending his house? This is a holy place, a holy temple. It's where the very presence of God resides. And I think we need to be more concerned about offending Jesus. He's turned over some tables. And I love, it said the disciples were reminded about something that he said. He says, I will have zeal for my house. No, in fact, he said, the zeal for my house consumes me. Oh, man, if there were more people in the church where the passion, zeal is passion, passion for God's house consumed us, I, I don't think that this country would be in the state that it's in today. I think, in fact, here I'm going to talk into some Forgive me, I'm gonna talk into some uh, things into our culture. Are you, you guys okay if this runs a little bit longer? When you, look, when you look at the state of our nation, I don't know about you, but I've, I've been in this process, I feel like of almost grieving in my spirit to see where it's come. And I think, I think it's taken some of us a little bit, caught us by surprise at how quickly from when you know, the coronavirus hit, to like six to eight months later, how fast things went from like gray to darker, like that. I personally believe that the Lord has showed me that this is a season that he is trying to wake up the church to its foundation in reality, that we are called to be the light of the world. And I believe that we've kept a barrel over that light. That barrel, I believe, is the physical part, the physical church. We've gotten too comfortable with coming to a location. Okay, look at, remember, God uses everything that the enemy meant for evil for good. So even though I don't believe God caused this virus, although that, you know, scripturally, you could argue about that. I personally don't believe it, but I believe that he's using it. And one of the things that I think he's using and has used this virus when we got shut in at home is to wake up the church to give you time for, apart from people so that you would miss it. In fact, I got a text from somebody because of health issues. They were an integral part of our church, one of our prayer warriors, amazing woman and, and godly man of this church, just sent me a text there, said, prays for me faithfully, prays for you and the church faithfully. She said, Pastor Lance, I can't tell you how much I miss the church. She hasn't been able to come. I felt that way for those two months. I hope that you felt that too. But most of all, I hope that you feel that because we've gotten into this comfortable, complacent place where the church has become apathetic because we don't realize that not only are we called to be a part of the church, that God has a plan for us to participate in his plan and purpose for the redemption of the world. That's our inheritance. It wasn't just the apostles. It's you and me. We have the same assignment. The assignment hasn't changed. The plan and purpose of God hasn't changed. What he wanted to do in, in Old Testament Israel, which is redeem the world through the nation of Israel, 
Now you and me get to be a spiritual Israel where God's plan and purpose for the world is that we would go into the world. That is an adverb. That, I mean, that is a verb. <laughs> go into the world. I promise I passed English. That is an action word. Go, participate. Go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've taught you. We act like that is for professionals only. That's for you, Pastor Lance. We pay you to do that. I'm just an average Christian. No, you're not an average Christian. You have the very Spirit of God living inside of you. We need to wake up to the reality that you are called just as much as I am, and we need to participate in the plan and purpose of God. And it started right here. Here's where the church started, Matthew 16, 15 through 18. This is actually the first time in Scripture that the word church is used. And this is very significant. I gotta, I've got to unpack this for you. Um, and I'm going to have to cut this short because it's going to go long. And I had a feeling that was going to happen. I'm going to try to get the whole thing in second service. So maybe you can catch the end of it here if you were in first service. But here's the deal. Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. This is when Jesus, everybody was beginning to talk about who he was. Oh, he's a prophet. He's this, he's that, um, he's no good. Whatever they were saying about him, Jesus now comes to his disciples and he's, he's asking them, who, who do people say that I am? And he's listening to all their stories and then he makes it personal. I actually love this question. I think it's a question that every single person has to wrestle with and has to come to grip with, grips with, whether you're a Christian or not. And that's this, but what about you? Pastor Lance could tell you, leaders could tell you, but what about you? It becomes personal. Now put that scripture back up if you would, verse 15. What about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? See, it needed to become personal. It needed to come alive in them who Jesus really was. They needed to not only think it, they needed to be able to verbalize it, to proclaim it. And I love Peter, stubborn as he is, jacked up as he is, he says this, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, this is awesome right here. This is Jesus speaking prophetically into what we're doing right now. He says, but I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now people think, oh, we're just going to hold the fort, Jesus. We're going to hold back the gates from hell until you come back. Wrong, and wrong answer. This is not a defensive posture. The gates of hell are the kingdom of darkness. And just like we sang earlier, the church is supposed to invade the kingdom of darkness with the light, the love, the power, the presence, the grace, the mercy of Jesus. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is your and my assignment, that we're supposed to carry forward the purpose and plan of God in the earth into the world, not stay in our churches. Now, let me show you even further what that word, first time it's used, significant, you gotta get this, church means. Key moments in the history of the church. Here's, here's the first one. The church was thriving as being this ragabound, uh, renegade, outlawed, rebellious group of people 
who were giving their lives, sacrificing their very lives for a cause with seeing in their own eyes a man who died, was buried, resurrected back to life, who claimed he was the very son of God, that who who would ever believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. They took that message of the gospel and started spreading it. And it started with a, a few a few men and women in an upper room and the Holy Spirit landed on the day of Pentecost and out of that, that day was the day that the church was born. And out of that, um, that new baptism of the Holy Spirit, that new power that they were endued with, they went out and Peter, who, who had forsaken God and lied about two, three times about who he was after he had already proclaimed, you are the son, now is the one in boldness stands up and preach and 3,000 people were added to the church that day. This began this massive grassroots movement where, where it was like wildfire, where this gospel message was being spread, but they had to do it in secret. They had to go from house to house because they were being persecuted. If you got caught, you were gonna get killed. This was not convenient church. This was not comfortable to be a part of this movement, but yet in the middle of the persecution, in the middle of a government, I know some of you are worried that this government or Joe Biden being president or Democrats being president is going to change the direction of our country. It's gonna bring us into dark and all these different things. And maybe some of you, you thought Trump was doing the same thing. So I respect whatever view you have. Either way, I want to tell you that we still live in America and the church right now is not even close to being under the persecution that the early church did. And it thrived. It thrived. It was moving. It was changing the world. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, uh, um, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4, verse 13 when they brought some of the apostles before the Sanhedrin, they said, how is it that these people, I thought we killed Jesus. In other words, we thought we killed the movement. We thought we killed the church. But how is it that you ordinary people are doing the same things that Jesus did? And the movement is carrying on and said they were astonished. They couldn't believe it. Can I tell you that over 2,000 years later that the world should look at us and be astonished that the things that Jesus did are still happening in the earth today because the people of God recognize I am called to be a part of this movement that Jesus started, that started with the apostles and the prophets, and now I get to participate in that plan and purpose of God in the earth. So this movement's happening. For almost 300 years after the death of Jesus, here's something significant. Constantine legalized Christianity in the Roman Empire in AD 313. It went from being outlawed, banned, within 300 years to now being the legalized (laughs) official religion of Rome. The The very nation that was trying to destroy Christians now became a Christian nation. And so here's the thing. Good, right? That's awesome, right? Good in theory. Not so good for the movement. Because here's what happened. The church that started as a grassroots movement began to be formalized. When it got legalized, it formalized. It became institutionalized. And the, the very government of Rome started getting involved and taking the movement out of it and bringing it, started creating buildings or these massive monuments. Actually, what they would do, um, Christians would go to the site on the anniversary of martyrs, 
and they would take communion at the site of where somebody was martyred. And what they started doing is they started building churches on top of the dead bones of some of those martyrs. And in cases where they couldn't build on top of the graves, they would extract the dead bones of the martyrs, put them in boxes and put them in the front of the church underneath the pulpit where they took communion. And what happened is, what started as something beautiful, alive, a movement, as it became institutionalized and as it became, it, it moved from house to house and it moved from being a movement, it started to come into a place where now um, it, it went from a movement to a monument. And in, in, in doing so, it went from being alive to dead. And you have to understand what, what that word church, that word church in the Greek is ekklesia. It means, listen to what it means. There's a difference here that you've got to get. Ecclesia means a gathering or an assembly of people called out for a specific purpose. It wasn't even a religion term. You could have been part of the army and been an ecclesia called out for a specific purpose. Uh, you could have been a part of a society group that was called out. But check this out. What happened over time? This is, this is one of the only occasions in the Bible. Oh, listen, if you don't get anything else, you have to get this where it's not a direct translation from Greek to English language. It's actually a substitution. The word church is not a direct translation. It's one of the only times you'll see this in the Bible. It's a substitution. Why? Because as the church started to formalize and institutionalize, it became more about a building, a place, than it did about a movement. And, and there's a word where we actually get the word church is uh, as Germans, they started building churches. They used the word Kirch. Kirch in German means house of the Lord. It actually refers to a specific place that you go. So you, you see the difference? What Jesus intended when he said, this is the church and upon the fact that I am Jesus. This is what I'm going to build the church on. And I'm going to use you, Peter. I love that. Jesus can do two things at once. He could say to Peter, I always thought, well, he's talking about, you know, the fact that he declared that he was the Lord. He was actually, it was two things. It was that he was declaring that Jesus was Lord, but it was also the fact that Peter was the rock that which he would use to bring the message that he was the rock to the world. Pretty cool. Side note. When they started using this word church and substituting instead of ecclesia, it took on a different meaning. In 1453, the Ottoman Empire captures Constantinople, which was the, um, the head, not the headquarters, the, what's the city called? The capital of Rome at the time. Why that was significant, listen, that was a significant shift because, and I believe God allowed it, because as it became in institutionalized, what happened is the government started getting involved in churches and they made it liturgical. They started making it ceremonial so that it became a processional. They started using incense and all these things so that when people came to it, they began to do not participate in what God was doing, but be a spectator, watch what was happening and observe a ceremony instead of being a part of what God was doing. Big shift. The Ottoman Empire comes in and scatters the biblical scholars now to to, uh, the wet, to the east in Europe, where they meet up with people like John Huss and William Tyndale, 
reformers and John and Luther, Martin Luther, and as they started translating and recognizing that God wanted to do something and needed to do something different, they translated the Bible into English and got it back into the common people's hand. Do you know when they instituted the church, they changed the Bible was written in Latin. It was called the Vulgate. And they actually would chain the Bible to the pulpit. They took away your and my ability to be able to read the Word of God for ourselves and be empowered by the Word of God and be a part of the church. And this was a significant movement. Now, when Tyndall put the, translated the Bible into English and started distributing Bibles out, and Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the door, and he restored something significant. It's called the priesthood of all believers. He reawakened the church that we were never called to be spectators. We were never meant to come to a service that we didn't actively participate in, that we weren't a part of this thing called church, the ecclesia, the assembly of people that had a purpose coming together for a purpose greater than themselves. This is the church. The church is a movement, and you were, you were meant to move with it and mature in it. I'm gonna say that again. The church is a movement, and you are meant to move in it and mature in it. And we need to close. I'm just gonna give you this last one just for your notes, but you were meant to become more like Jesus. And the church is the place that you do that. This is how God designed it. So what does that mean for you and me? It means that we come in ugly and we leave a little bit more and more like Jesus. And we need people in our life. There's a scripture in Proverbs that says, as iron sharpens iron, one, so one man sharpens another. And as we come and be a part of the church and we allow people to see us for who we really are, and this is a scary thing, and this is why I think a lot of people aren't a part of the church more is because they're scared to fully be known. James, in fact, says that one of the ways that God heals us is that when we, in relationship with one another, and we get to do this together, that we have relationships that we trust people enough to where we confess our faults one to another. Why? So that we may be healed. And for a lot of us, our, our maturity in Christ is our growth is stunted because we're not engaging in the very thing that God ordained for us to become more like him. This beautiful mess, this glorious mess called the church. I don't know about you, but I wanna, I wanna die. I've said before, God, if you're gonna take me, take me right here. Old, shriveled up, giving my life to Jesus. Not right now though, amen. So here's, as we, as we close, I like how you think. Thank you, amen. Here's how we close. And if you're in Eureka or you're watching online, I really felt as I was praying into this message, and I'm sorry, I know that was a really long message. Some of these have been really long, and, and I don't mean to preach this long to you. I really don't. Um, it's not going to continue like this, just so you know. But during this message series, there's just been some things that, that I felt 
really are important for us to get. And so it's taken a little bit longer. Thank you for the grace that you've given and shown me to preach and teach you. Um, it's, a, it's an honor for me to do so. But I hope this message really encouraged you, inspired you, and um, propel you. I do believe right now, and I posted this, there's a, a quote from C.S. Lewis, in a world full of fear, the church needs to be fearless. And right now, more than anything, the world is looking to the church. And we're called to be the light of the world. We're called to be a fearless church, anchored in hope, primed in peace, armed in the power of the Holy Spirit, rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Amen? I wanna pray for some of us as we close because I know, I recognize that there are many of you that have been hurt, wounded by the church. Maybe this message has helped you understand that um, you're not supposed to give up. Some of you, I believe, it's time to make a commitment to say, I'm gonna go deeper. I'm gonna go all in. I'm telling you the reason why you haven't really connected to the church is because you haven't gone all in with it. And I look out at people who have given their lives and gone all in on it, and I see the fruit in their lives. They're some of the most amazing followers of Jesus and amazing people I know sitting right here. Why? Because they've committed to it. And I believe that you'll be blessed from it. But some of you have been hurt by it. Some of you have not committed to it. And so I just, I just want to close by praying. We're going to have our prayer team, ministry team at the banners ready to pray for you. And then we're going to worship to this last song. And in our worship, we're going to declare that God reigns above all of it, that, that he's Lord, that, that it is important that we posture ourselves in a place where we say, God, we trust you through all of what's happening right now. We trust you and we're excited because we believe that you're doing more than we can see and we get to be a part of it, amen? So would you stand to your feet? God, thank you. Thank you that you're speaking to us. God, thank you that you're encouraging us. Thank you that you're equipping us. Thank you that you have called us to be this part of this beautiful thing called the ecclesia, a gathering, a group of people for a purpose, on purpose. God, I wanna pray for some of you, and you know who you are. Maybe you're in Eureka, maybe you're online. But if you're here and you've been wounded, you've been hurt by the church, you've been a little bit disconnected. Maybe some of you, just when I was speaking about kind of having a critical lens toward the church, I believe that God wants to bring some healing to you. I believe for some of you, today is a day where the truth of God's word is gonna enlighten you as to the purpose of the church and why you were meant to be a part of it. And that some of you need to make a decision today that you're gonna to commit to it. You're not gonna just be an attender. You're not gonna be a consumer. You're gonna to commit to be a part of this church or whatever church that God calls you. It doesn't have to be this church. It's not about Hope Church. This message is not about Hope Church. It's about the kingdom of God. But I do believe that God calls us to be a part of a church. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every single person here. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you ordained this day and you ordain every single person to be here, to hear this message. God, I pray that you would set captives free. God, I believe that if there's offense, if there's hurt, if there's wounds from past church leaders, past churches, people in the church, God, right now, we choose to forgive them. And I ask you, I stand in the gap right now as a pastor of a local church, and whether I've hurt you or wounded you, or whether some other church leader or church has wounded you, I stand in the gap for them right now and say, please forgive me from the bottom of my heart. We never meant to hurt you. 
forgive us. We are imperfect people trying to follow a perfect Christ. Forgive me for hurting you, for wounding you, for not seeing the potential in you, for not including you in the plan and purpose of God. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at Hope Church MT. Be blessed and have a great week.